0: Um. So, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. I'm really excited to hear about your new project.
1: Thanks for having me on. This is going to be on YouTube? I'm a little scared of YouTube.
0: Uh, I mean, I, I I initially was scared of YouTube also, but I find that my audience is quite good. I don't have the... Maybe maybe I just haven't gotten there yet, but I don't have the like crazy <laughs> offensive comments just yet. So I think you'll probably be okay.
1: I sort of feel like if different uh, social media uh, platforms are occupied by different ideological platforms, you kind of have like the left wing has completely uh, occupied Twitter and like the right wing is kind of completely occupied YouTube. So so perhaps we're talking to a friendly audience on YouTube.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I also find YouTube to be quite like male centric for whatever reason, Mm -hmm. maybe that stereotype about men and being more more visual visual. is actually true (laughs) you might be a little true it might be something else (laughs) anyway so like I guess maybe you can first start by telling me a little bit about yourself and your career like your path to and within journalism in
1: Canada sure uh well that's terrifying to recount because I've been in in Canadian journalism for um a longer time than I would like to admit sometimes. <laughs> no, so uh, I, I went to Ryerson um, Journalism School. I graduated in 06. Um, I've worked at the Toronto Star and the Globe and Mail and the, 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 the National Post. Um, lived a couple of years in the Middle East uh, working at the, the National, which is a, a paper that started up there um, in the GCC. So that was really interesting. Uh, came back to work for the Calgary Herald. Um, after that worked for the national post did that for a couple of years kind of rage quit the national post and went freelance about three years ago after my first child uh and since then i've I've worked for a bunch of different organizations um just, just in a freelance capacity mclean's walrus um i've also sort of started to break into some of the american papers so i've got a couple of bylines at um, washington post and the new york times which was really exciting for me totally but uh yeah so so i've kind of been uh everywhere i like to joke that i'm everywhere you cannot avoid me if you consume (laughs) canadian media Mm -hmm. um uh, i've colonized it all and i mean i'm wondering what your
0: experience in canadian media was like i mean It's it. I mean, I'm not sure how much comparing you can do because you haven't, for example, worked in the U.S. But uh, I mean, I think that there is something particular to Canadian media. Um, So maybe you can speak to that.
1: Sure. I mean, it's a smaller media market. There's there isn't any way around that. I mean, Canada is a country of 37 million people. Um, and the, the old joke is like, uh, if you go down to America and they're like, do you know, Sue from Regina? And you're like, that's an offensive stereotype. But yes, I know Sue from Regina. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Canadian media is, is exactly like that. Uh, you know, everybody kind of knows everybody, uh, within one or two degrees. Um, and there aren't that many places to work. Right. So if you piss off one organization and i've pissed off many like there aren't a lot of places to go from there right there's not a lot of um diversity and of course the whole industry has been massively consolidated in the last 10 years um which means that you know it's not just a matter of hey you pissed off the the calgary herald now you've pissed off the entire post media chain um that can make things really challenging
0: yeah Yeah, it seems to me both from my experience but also from talking to other people in Canadian media that, you know, I mean, first of all, as you say, obviously the market is really small. Um, There's so few places to go to begin with and then everyone is so connected that if you make enemies of the wrong people, you can really, really be screwed in terms of your ability to just work in journalism.
1: Well, and like, I don't uh subscribe to the idea that you should be out to make enemies in your industry um and i'm sure that that's true of uh, american as, american as well. i mean when i came into media I was really really competitive It was like i'm gonna crush all the things and i quickly realized that you know part of being good was actually about building alliances and networks within media and, and you know you promote people and you bring other people up and i'm now at a place in my own career where when i see people that i promoted or or helped at some point um that is really gratifying to me like i I just sort of think that you know you all kind of support each other and help each other that is the good side of 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 working in a smaller market and of course i'm even within the canadian market For the last 10 years i've been working in calgary which is a smaller market of of a smaller market and one of the things i've really enjoyed about that small market media is that um you know we all kind of know each other we all go for beers like it 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 can be a really positive um affirming kind of community
0: Mm mm-hmm So do you find that there is a particular ideological or political bias that exists within Canadian media? Um, I mean, perhaps as compared to American media or UK media, um, or just in general?
1: I I wouldn't call it a right-wing or a left-wing bias per se. I'm not sure that that is um, an applicable way of thinking about it. I think that there's a bit of a status quo bias um, culturally, I, you know, the stereotype kind of rings true about Canadians is that we're, we're pretty sedate, stoic type of people. Um, so I think that there's a bias against radicalism for that, for lack of a better sense. Um, uh, and I think that there's a, a, a sort of, like, tone that media has here that it tends to stick to. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder, so you
0: recently launched The Line um and i wonder what led you to this point did you have some kind of i don't know peak moment in canadian media where you're like okay enough like i need to do this or enough like we need this in canada
1: yeah there was a couple of things and again i didn't start the line to spill tea on my colleagues and um I I had reached a point as a freelancer where all of the people I worked with were fantastic, like I I loved all of my editors, I loved the relationships that I had with them, so like I'm not, I don't have bad stories about Canadian media per se. But I did reach this point where I realized that in myself, everything that I was writing, I was playing 3D chess with myself thinking, okay, well, if I write this sentence, how is this person going to misrepresent me on Twitter? And am I gonna get piled on from that? So everything that I was writing um, was exhausting and, and just horrifically anxiety inducing. And I realized that that was not healthy and it wasn't helping me to become a better writer because you know part of being a better writer is experimenting and and trying out new ideas and trying out new writing techniques and playing and not feeling like you have to constantly couch everything you write um, in caveats and weasel words so that someone doesn't go on Twitter and like screen grab a single line and then turn it into a pile on against you. But that's what I was doing and I was doing it constantly in my head and it was making the profession not fun anymore. You know, I enjoy journalism. I, I, I enjoy the thrust and or the cut and thrust of it. I enjoy writing. I got into this because I love writing. And you can't write in that environment. It's 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 just profoundly stifling to constantly feel like you have to be afraid. Um, and be afraid of something so stupid, you know, <laughs> like who cares if Twitter piles on you? Like it doesn't it doesn't actually matter. It doesn't actually necessarily even affect your career, but it still um, uh, creates this like fog on you emotionally. Um, and, and that was getting harder and harder to deal with. Um, I was finding most people in Canadian media were getting more and more um, tired and disillusioned and unhappy. Um, I don't know a lot of people in Canadian journalism right now who are super thrilled just to be there and, and are, are like living their best lives anymore. Um, and then I would say probably like in the last six months, the other thing that started to compound was like the the, this, I mean, this is a cliche now, but the scope of acceptable debate had just become super confining. Like I can get published anywhere I want. If I want to write a call about Jason Kenny, or if I want to write about, you know, the latest thing in, 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 Canadian politics or what's going on in Alberta, if I wanted to confine myself to that, that would not be a problem. I could build a career on that very easily and, and without too much trouble. Um, sorry. Uh, but you know, it, I, I also I don't want to confine myself to that, I don't want to write two or three hot takes about whatever's happening in politics per week. Um, I want to write longer essays, I want to write uh, stuff about culture, I want to write stuff about entertainment, I want to branch out and, and, and develop professionally as well, and there just isn't as much room for that as there was even a couple of months ago. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, so we've been hearing a lot
0: about this sort of similar feeling among journalists working in the U.S. also. Um, you know, people have started speaking out about cancel culture and what's been going on at the Times. Um, I wonder if... Sorry, I was just hearing some background noise there. Um, I wonder if you think... You know, what what is it about canada and canadian media that has developed or led to this development what has developed this kind of culture where people are feeling afraid to maybe explore certain topics or ideas or ideologies where people are so stressed out about you know i don't know saying the wrong thing and getting attacked on twitter you know being sort of banished or ostracized by their colleagues or the industry or what have you
1: yeah, it's smaller and it's poor is is the answer um like canada i think has always uh taken a lot of its cultural cues from what's going on in the united states i mean it's not a coincidence that you know five minutes after black lives matter matter starts to really break out in the us you know we have uh, a sort of sympathy protests in in toronto we saw similar things with for example the occupy movements you know uh you know uh, we had protesters set up in Zuccotti Park and like three weeks later you've got protesters setting up you know encampments in Calgary and Edmonton in Vancouver even though you know we're a country with nowhere near the income inequality and like universal health care and all of the things that the most left-wing democrats in the United States would pine for right so like we, we do have this habit of, of um, importing American culture and we've imported a degree of American culture war issues uh, and that is a huge part of it but it's worse here, and it's, and that's the thing that I think maybe people in, in America don't understand. It's worse here because we don't have the diversity of media outlets. We don't have the money. Um, uh, there just isn't as many places to go. Like if, you, if you're if you in the United States and you feel like you're being stifled by the left-wing media or whatever, you have 15 other outlets you can still pitch to. Those outlets just don't exist in this country, right? They're not here. Um, and that's kind of why I thought, well, then we need to, we need to make some. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I'm guilty
0: of, like, talking a lot of shit about Canadian media and being like, ugh, people are so cowardly and so boring and it's so frustrating because I just feel, I mean, I just feel bored of reading the same takes over and over and over and nobody will produce anything original and
1: that's and that's the other thing too right like that's the other thing that i didn't even realize that this had happened until i was about to launch the line like two or three days before i launched the line and i was like holy shit all of the writing is depressing like where's the irreverence like where's the fun in any of this where's the 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 joie de vivre of of any writing at all it's just it's gone it's like it's just been sucked the tone of it has just even in the last couple of years, it's just been sucked out of it. And that has been, um, I didn't even realize that that had happened until like a couple of days ago. And I'm like, oh, like irreverence. Yeah. That's the thing that's just not here anymore. Um, and we're a big country to have so little irreverence, <laughs> you know, like, like you still kind of get a little bit of irreverence on Twitter or a little bit of fun on Twitter, but like, it's, um, it's, 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 it's a really weird thing to describe, but it needs to come back. Mm hmm. So when you were
0: launching the line, um, I mean, are there currently any media outlets in Canada, and if not, maybe like the US or somewhere else that sort of, you look to and said, Okay, this is this is good, you know, is there anything happening in Canada in terms of journalism and media that you're sort of, um looking towards as being perhaps progressive in these terms. So something new, something original, something more bold,
1: or, you know, not really. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I, I saw the success of the dispatch, which is uh, David French's and Jonah Goldberg Goldberg's piece. And I was like, okay, so substack has demonstrated a model that can, that can scale. Um, or at least higher wind up supporting a couple of journalists on staff. So that was cool. Um, uh i saw what happened with andrew sullivan although i kind of had plans for the line before andrew sullivan decided to take off from new york mag so that was interesting to watch um and uh uh what else i mean yeah those i think were the big the big two that made me think that substack might be the way forward i mean i've been kind of chatting with some colleagues about creating an alternative outlet um for a couple of months uh but you know we were trying to decide well how do we do that do we need to like get some startup capital and start on our own standalone site or like how would we make, make, need to make that work but watching other writers make it work on substack um made me think that that might be the way to start this project um and also like i i really didn't want to do what some other writers have done and sort of create a Substack that was self-aggrandizing when it was about, you know, promoting Jen Gerson's writing, right? I wanted to create a new institution and part of my goal in creating a new institution will be trying to find and develop new writers, which is also something that our institutions, our unique institutions just aren't doing anymore. Mm-hmm. So
0: how does Substack work? Like, why did you think that was an appropriate platform and how,
1: how are you planning to fund this new project? Um, well, without getting into too many details, I'm actually blown away by how much financial support there has already been. Uh, and I haven't even really published anything yet, which is uh, terrifying because of course, <laughs> I'm like, oh no, <laughs> like, I, I would have been thrilled if you had all given me like 800 bucks. Like I would have been, I'm oh, sorry, I would have been all thrilled if you had given me like 800 bucks. I would have considered that an enormous success. I could have started something with that, but no, there's there is very clearly to me an, an, an appetite for. Um, sort of uh, uh, reasonable and irreverent writing um, that people just feel like they aren't getting. And, and the hunger for it is obviously there because people ha- are willing to put money behind the idea, just the idea of creating a new institution for this. So um, that was uh, incredibly gratifying. I kind of put on Twitter, I was like, imagine how you would feel if you uh, decided to go to a five minute poetry slam night session and then it showed up what the night expecting five of your friends to be on the audience and all of a sudden there were 500 friends in the audience. Like that's kind of how I feel at the moment. Mm. Um, So we've had a phenomenal kind of first few days uh, and now we have to perform on that. And that's okay, cool. Let's go. Um, But yeah, uh, how Substack works is uh, you can publish pieces to the Substack website or you can publish pieces to uh, a collection of newsletters. Um, You can decide which posts you want to put behind a paywall or not. Um, They've got a really smart feature, which is uh, comments for paid subscribers only. That's something that I've been pushing newspapers to do forever. If you don't put money up, you shouldn't be able to expect to go to a newspaper website and have them host your terrible opinion. Um, uh, So that, I think, is very clever. Uh, And in addition to that, you know, it helps you build an, an email list. I think they're 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 working on sort of creating sort of more back-end stuff for, for legal help for writers and things as well. And I, I just think it's a, it's actually, the terrible irony thing is that when Substack first launched a couple of years ago, one of its founders called me and was like, hey, we really want to get you on Substack and like, let's talk about what you're looking for as a writer. And I was just like, yeah, really great positive conversation with them. And then I hung up the phone and I was like, that tech platform's going nowhere. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> i can ignore Oops. that conversation <laughs> And you know
1: like three or four years later i'm watching all of these writers just migrate to substack and i'm like yeah. oh shoot <laughs> 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 I boat on that one all right here we
0: go here we are that's fine i uh, sent them an email and i was like eating my hat like yeah, yeah
1: you were right i should have joined you sooner
0: sorry <laughs> sorry Help me now. that's okay <laughs> yeah
1: Um, and so
0: what's the goal there? You know, what's your, you know, what's the plan? What are you hoping to produce? And, you know, what kinds of writers are you hoping to get involved?
1: My philosophy on this one is that if you can get a collection of really interesting people to write for you, you will produce interesting content, right? Um, I absolutely want to tackle issues that I feel are undercovered in Canadian media, but I also want to collect a roster of really intelligent people who have interesting things to say. Um, I don't want people to come to the line and, and know instantly what the take of the line is going to be or know what they're going to get. I want people to open up their email inboxes one to three times a week and be like, oh, cool, there's someone new from the line. What is this person gonna say? Like, I constantly want them to be surprised and inspired and offended on occasion by by our perspectives and opinions on things. Um, eventually, you know, I it and also how we grow from here is gonna depend on audience feedback and audience demand. We need to demonstrate an audience. Um, we need to demonstrate uh, an audience that's willing to pay. And if we, and it doesn't even need to be a large audience. Like that's the thing that's, that's crazy. And it's, and and it's why some of these uh, media startups have a lot of potential. And what are these legacy outlets that are, you know, trying to support stabs of dozens and dozens of people are really struggling. Like you don't need that many people to run a media outlet anymore. Right. Um, but you know, you do need some and you do need to have a core audience of people who are willing to, to, to put money behind these outlets and show that there's there's a demand for the content that they produce. Um, so if we can show that, I think that we can pretty quickly transition to uh, maybe a standalone site or um, a, a kind of a, a broader thing where we have sort of people beyond me who are on staff full time producing, you know, more than three or four things a week right? Mm-hmm. So that, that I think is the ambition. Um, but for now, it's, it's, it's a substack newsletter space. It's, it's a safe space for liberal values and debate and all, all that good stuff. And, and if that's where it is for the next couple of months, that's fine.
0: Mm-hmm. So what are the, um, what, what do you think are the undercovered issues in Canadian media? You know, what do you think is missing in terms of, I mean perhaps both ideological or political perspective but also just in terms of the issue do you think that it's like do you think that there are things that aren't being covered that should be covered or do you think that it's mainly that things are being covered but in the wrong way or just from one particular
1: angle through one particular lens i think there's a little bit of both of that so firstly um you will notice that as the canadian media has contracted there really isn't the resources to do Anywhere near as much uh, foreign investigative, to some extent. Although we don't have the resources to do investigative reporting right now, but you know, uh, you know I I can't think of a Canadian reporter who's in Portland right now, right. right? And that means that who am I relying on to get any information about what's going on in Portland? It's people like Eddie No, and like I would like a more objective source of information than that. Um, so we're kind of in the process of commissioning that right now. Um, it, it's it's hot button issues that, you know, the, the, the range of acceptable opinion has been so dramatically narrowed that, you you know, you can't express an opinion. All you can do is express a phrase systemic racism. What does systemic racism even mean? What is what, what, what are we talking about when we talk about systemic racism? Because I've seen. Five different meanings of systemic racism. And some of those meanings, I could be like, Yeah, I agree with that. And some of those meanings are so vague as to be meaningless. But we can't even have that conversation anymore because if you if you dispute the idea of systemic racism, you're a racist now. Um, trans issues are a classic one, obviously. You're 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 you've seen that front hand. I mean it, it you cannot express an opinion on this. And um I think that the idea that you It's just easier not to. It's just easier not to touch it. Um, But you know, it's an issue that people care about, and it's people issue people want to talk about. So um, that is something that is completely closed off. Uh, As I said, I don't think that we have anywhere near enough really interesting people from Canada covering what's happening in American politics right now. I mean, American politics hugely dominates what happens in Canada, and we're always kind of covering it in a very reactionary way. Um, uh, so anyway those would just be like a couple things just off the top of my head and then I a lot of what's missing is is tone a lot of what's missing is just um a feeling that the writers who are doing this job are doing a job that they enjoy and that they're having some fun with their lives and and are are attempting to uh oh hi we better
0: know hello <Hi>. hello hello <laughs>
1: So he's just gonna here, just, came, gonna, for he just came for a little visit. That's fine. Just came for a little visit. That's fine. You know, I also think that that's uh, uh, oh the other thing that I think is really missing is uh, more regional stuff like so much of media is dominated by the pathologies of what is ever going on within a four block, block radius of downtown toronto like british columbia is dramatically undercovered in this country manitoba is a dark zone as far as i'm concerned like we have an enti- we have entire provinces and territories that don't get interest like in-depth thorough or analytic coverage at all mm-hmm. at all um, there are fascinating stories coming out of the provinces and some of the cities even that just completely ignore it if they're not happening in Toronto. So uh, that, I think, is something that we can we can rectify with a kind of a new media model that takes us out of Toronto's butt.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk to you a bit about the CBC.
1: Um, I mean, I'm not oh, sure no. how
0: <laughs> much you can speak to the Get CBC, but like...
1: Oh. I, I, okay so for the record i will i now be referring to you as voldemort and yeah that is yeah. of, of anyway. course of
0: course i mean i like i mean it, it's so sad because i've been a cbc listener since i was a kid um you know the cbc was sort of i don't know if you did you grow up in canada
1: yeah, I grew up in Canada. we I wasn't in a classy household, though, so we didn't listen to the CBC a lot.
0: Oh, okay. So the CBC was like the soundtrack to my childhood because my dad yeah. just had it on every single morning for hours. Um, and then as an adult, of course, I kind of did the same thing. I would just turn it on habitually every day. And maybe like a few years ago, um, I mean, it probably started a little bit before that, but a few years ago, I stopped listening entirely because I yeah. just couldn't handle it anymore. I just found it so I mean dull, but also just frustratingly biased and phony. Um, you know, I feel yeah. like they sort of got rid of anybody who was interesting or mildly controversial or held that like a, a different um perspective and started representing a very small minority of people in Canada who I would probably consider to be sort of the elite in a way. So, you know... Yeah,
1: they became the voices of the Laurentian consensus, is what I would call it, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so let me answer that question by talking about a dynamic that I have observed for the last 15 years in media. Um, right, going back to my days in journalism school, is that I always kind of observed that there were, generally speaking very generally speaking, one of two types of journalists or one of two types of people who got really interested in becoming a journalist. You had the people who were a little bit like me in the sense that we were, amoral is the wrong word, but like we were people who got into journalism because we just wanted to do journalism. Like the act of journalism itself was, 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 is, is the reward. It was fun. It was, it was, um, uh uh, valuable and rewarding just to be able to reveal the truth to people and write our perspectives in the world and put it out there and um you know if that writing or that work changed government policy or changed the way people thought that was a great added bonus but ultimately the reward was the work itself and i think that there was a second kind of person who got attracted to journalists Journalism. who were what I would call like activist journalists. They were people who got involved in journalism because they were seeking an outcome, right? They weren't doing it to learn necessarily or to master a trade or a craft. They were doing it because they wanted to change the world and change the world for the better. Um, And that impulse was really noble and positive. But in my own personal observation, the, the people who got into journalism with sort of activist intentions tend to burn out of it really fast. And tend to get disillusioned by it extremely quickly because, to give you a sense, my first job in journalism was at the Toronto Star's radio room and that job involved sitting in a box with one window facing a a newsroom and listening to police and radio and ambulance scanners for eight hours at a time waiting for people to die. And then when people died, informing the the managing editor or the handling or the assignment editor that someone was dying, and then they would they would send like a real grown up reporter to cover it, and then your job was to support that grown up reporter by calling the the families of dead victims to ask for pictures of their 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 children. Brutal. Sure. Yeah. So that's that was my first job in journalism. I did that for two years. So, I mean, that will sap any sentimentality out of you real fast about what that job is. Mm -hmm. Um, And now I think for a lot of people who get into journalism, a lot of it is content churn, right? They sit down in a cubicle or in an open plan office and it's like, okay, give me your five, like, pieces to hit on the website today and we're going to content churn that out. And if you came into journalism thinking that this was going to be the profession that changed the world and you wound up at like Vice or BuzzFeed or The Star or someplace like that, churning out content and chasing dead people's families, you were going to learn real fast that very little actual journalism was about changing the world. Mostly it was about getting information out there. That is what your daily job was. And the times when your work would go and make meaningful, positive impact and change the world, that really is the one out of a hundred times. Like, like, you know, if I were to summarize 15 years of my journalism career, that was that would be 1% of it. So in my experience, the activist types tended to get very cynical, very unhappy. They burned out really quickly. A lot of them wind up leaving. Like I think the people who wind up staying in journalism for any length of time are the ones who just like, no, no, I just, I love the chase. I, I love writing. I, I love doing it for its own sake. Um, and the people who Went into it thinking that this was going to upend the capitalist system, or bring awareness to their pet causes, or you know they were going to stop climate change, or stop cruelty to animals, or stop any one of these totally no, noble, laudable goals. They got disappointed by the profession very quickly. Um, but I think what you're starting to see happen now is that there's—I will not say the activists are in charge because it's not quite right, and it's not even. It's, it's not it. But I mean, you're starting to see in an era when the, the, the number of jobs are winnowing, where the quality of the jobs is de- dramatically declining, that disgruntlement has has reached a critical mass, a place of critical mass. And I think a lot of people are like, this isn't the job I wanted. This isn't what I thought I was getting into. I want to make this better for myself. I want to I want to use this job as a vehicle to sort of actually um, pursue my own values and I've got nothing to lose anymore. There's nothing to lose. Eventually, I'm going to lose this job anyway. I'm getting paid 45, forty thousand dollars a year. Who gives a shit? And this is where I think you get the at the source of a lot of sort of internal newsroom revolts, and um, uh, a lot of attempts by people who are 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 new and emerging in the industry to sort of um, shift the power dynamics between the established sort of uh, managerial players and you know, the, the, the young and cheap and cheerfuls. So that I think is kind of the underlying pathology of what's going on. I mean, I think that that tension was always there, but what's made it so much worse now is that the economics of journalism are just so much more brutal than they were when I entered. Like, I mean, this is something that I, I, I think that people are so angry and like, you, you know, you get a lot of journalists on Twitter complaining about how hard it is to break in and how they can't make a living on and they're right. You know um nobody could follow my path my career path today who was starting up today i had ap- opportunities available to me and avenues available to me in my career that simply aren't there anymore like they're just gone right so um and also to be honest i mean a lot of kids are now coming out of journalism schools that teach them that journalism is more than just a trade or a craft or a job it's a vocation it's almost spoken of, in at least it was in my day, it was, it's almost spoken of as a religious calling, right? And of course, that's what you have to train people journalism is if you want them to work in a terrible job for $45,000 a year, right? You have to assign a degree of almost religious meaning to it. When at the end of the day, you're sitting out and you're churning out content, right, for a very shitty amount of money, and usually with terrible bosses and mean colleagues. That's the reality of the career path. Um, And if you can't assign sort of a a deeper meaning to that career path, it becomes a really hard model to to sustain. Mm
0: -hmm. And who do you, I mean, who do you think is kind of running the show now over at the CBC? I mean, the reason why I'm interested in the CBC is partly because it's our public broadcaster, so it's important, Mm -hmm. but also it's probably our biggest media source in Canada. And because the the decline of the CBC and this just all this internal crap that's going on around. It just seems like such a stressful place to work, to be honest. Like it seems like everybody is probably like miserable. Yeah. Miserable. Miserable. And everyone's miserable. (laughs) You're like, let me just (laughs) answer this question (laughs) for you.
1: (laughs) As far as I can tell, everyone in Canadian media is absolutely miserable right now. I, I, I don't know what else to tell you. And I like, I mean, it's fair to focus on the CBC because, of course, it's a source of public funding. Yeah. Remember that the CBC has a, a, a set of journalistic standards and practices um, that explicitly state that they are there to serve all Canadians. They are mm. not there to serve uh, the small cadre of people who will show up to a cocktail party in the annex. That That's not their mandate. Um, and their public funding is tied to what their mandate is, not to what a very small collection of people within the CBC would want their mandate to be. So I think that if they continue down this path, they're putting their funding very much in jeopardy because how are they gonna go testify in front of a heritage committee and say with a straight face that we're serving all Canadians in an era where you know what they're covering and how they're covering it is getting narrower and narrower and narrower. I mean, people aren't stupid. They know that they're not getting represented by that broadcast network anymore. They know that their views don't have a fair, e- fair hearing on that network anymore. And haven't for a long time. So I, I think that the CBC is is going to um, I mean, this goes back to why I started the line and, I, and, and our, in our mandate message, you know, no one who no one who can't pay his own rent is free. And the CBC does not pay its own rent. Taxpayers do. Mm-hmm. So I think that if they continued in the path they're going to going on, they are going to put their funding very much at risk. Um, because eventually there's going to be another conservative government and there's going to be another conservative government that is not going to hesitate to start to like really examine what the, whether or not the mission and mandate of the CBC is 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 there for the broader public interest or whether or not they're serving the, the, their own journalistic standards of practices. That is going to start to come under scrutiny in the coming years if they're not really careful. Totally. But the dynamics that I'm describing, like they're not limited to the CBC. They're not limited to left wing or right wing outlets. I mean, the National Post, we've seen the same kind of internal staff revolt. Um, end of byline strike, which you may not have noticed, which is really depressing. Cause, I mean, if you go on byline strike and no one notices, that's that's pretty grim. But you know, I mean, this is this is happening. Um, I, mean, I, I mean, Barry White's got a lot of hell on Twitter for pointing this out, and by focusing on sort of the generational divide, I think it's I think it's probably a little bit limiting to think that it's just an age-related issue. Mm-hmm. But there is certainly a values clash that is taking place in journalism between the sort of people who are very much on my side of the line, where I'm like. Get information out and be right. <laughs> like, like, like your job is to inform people like that's, that's, I, I don't, I'm not of the mind of like objective journalism. You know, back 15 years ago, when I first graduated, there was the whole conversations around objective journalism versus non And I was always a non-objectivist and I was always like a non-prescriptionist. I'm like, no, no, no. I think that it's fair to bring your own perspective to the table, just as long as you're open and honest about what that perspective is and that you're not trying to deceive anybody. But I also did believe that you had an obligation to fairness, right? It's it's I think you have an obligation not to misrepresent a side you might disagree with. I think you have an obligation to sort of give you, the people you disagree with a fair hearing and make sure that you're presenting their positions fairly. That, I think, is 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 the, the moral obligation of the profession. And I think that uh, that is very much... Um, under threat by people who sort of ascribe to like the moral clarity side of this, who believe that, no, my obligation isn't to represent the bad guys fairly, fuck that, right? The question starts to be for me, well, how are you deciding who the bad guys are, right? What what, how, what, 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 godly authority appointed you to decide who the good and the bad guys are in, in these issues? You can have your own perspective on that, but ultimately it's up for the audience to decide that. And if you are trying to narrow the scope of the debate so that the bad guys don't get a say, I don't think that that's going to end the way you want it to. That doesn't end with the bad guys getting forever excommunicated and shunned. What that ends with is the audience fundamentally abandoning you. That's where I think this is going. And that's why I'm I'm very nervous about, about the sort of ideological clash that I think is a heart, at the heart of a lot of this stuff.
0: Yeah, it's true. I mean, what... Has happened. I mean, this has happened to me. So I think this is probably part of why I started to notice it so much. Unfortunately, um, I just say unfortunately because I wish that I had sort of been aware that this was going on before I had experienced it firsthand. But so it goes. Mm-hmm. You know, because you'll see an issue covered or, um, you know, one of my events would be covered or something like that. And the CBC would cover the issue by talking to a bunch of other people who have an opinion about (laughs) me or my event or the issue at hand, and they all kind of share the same opinion, um, and they refuse to even speak to the other side they refuse to speak to the people who might see things a different way and you're right what happens in the end is that they just lose their audience because there's thousands and thousands of people in canada who want to hear the other side or see themselves as part of that other side and just feel like they're kind of being swindled. And, you know, you said this before, like people aren't stupid. You know, they realize no, I, this is happening.
1: No, and it actually, it's worse than what you're saying. Because, you know, the people who care will understand and will see very well that they're only getting one side of this. And they will go and they will pursue the other side of it. And they're like, well, that uh, uh, Megan chick, is she is she really as bad as I thought? And they're going to go look up your work. And then they're going to be like, well, I agree with this, or I don't disagree with this, or I do agree with this. But but why am I not hearing this on the CBC? And then that what that does is that fosters a fundamental um, distrust of the mainstream media as a whole. Because if they can see that they did that to you, well, then what else are they lying about? Right. Right. Like it just creates a um, a, a culture in which you you just can't trust what you're hearing anymore, and you know very well that the CBC is only presenting one side of this. And so therefore, I have to go maybe to the rebels and you know that and then then you're creating this 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 culture of polarization and distrust right where there's there's the media is is, isn't just giving you information they're presenting you a position right um and i think that a lot of that lies in a real fundamental misapprehension of how power and information really work um people think that power lies within the institution and it doesn't power lies within the audience and the relationship the symbiotic relationship that exists between the institution of people in the inst- in the and the institution and the audience itself mm-hmm. um i think that the, the the moral clarity side of the journalists are going to figure that out the hard way in the next 15 years and it's going to be pretty pretty awful to watch because i think it's going to lead to a culture where we're you know, polarization and distrust reaches an absolute peak. I don't even think we've begun to hit the the worst of it right now. But I mean, I would also say this, like I was kind of watching in a very removed way about about the way that the the CBC kind of treated you. And um, to be honest with you, I was kind like I wasn't paying that much attention to it. And like a lot of other journalists at the time, I was like, this isn't my fight. Is it worth spending chips on this? And, you know, it probably isn't. And I'm sure that if you and I were to talk about trans issues, there were things that you and I would disagree with 100%. -hmm. But the idea that, like, you didn't deserve that, that, so much time and effort could be devoted to talking about you, and yet you didn't deserve to have a platform to sort of speak about your own positions and have your position fairly articulated, even challenged, even fairly challenged. Yeah. I, I, you know, I think that if you had gone into the CBC and and had a a testy interview or whatever, that would have been completely legitimate. But the idea that 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 was not even awarded to you. That doesn't meet any standard of journalistic practice that I've ever been taught or, or or ascribed to. And, you know, I think that there was a mistake made that there weren't more people that more people just didn't, you know, raise an alarm then because when you start to going back to the, the meaning of the line, when you start to let lines like that start to go, it the line just keeps on falling back, right? Y- y- you know, you let one thing or two things like that slide, just like oh, it's not worth the fight. That's not worth the fight. Well, eventually the line's gonna come to you. And, and the f- it is going to be your fight So you know I kind of part of the reason why I decided To start the line was just this this, this Understanding but like I'm going to get cancelled Eventually I'm probably going to get cancelled after talking To you on YouTube that's fine because you're As I said you're Voldemort and I've talked to you And Sorry. therefore <laughs> yeah, I, That's fine but you know what They were going to come for me anyway right? Because I'm Not reflexively progressive So you know you die On your back or you die on your feet I'll die on my feet that's fine yeah and and you can't cancel me if I own it
0: yeah when well, you don't want to live in fear i mean that's sort of my no. thing is it's like i don't want to so i avoid this person and then oh now i have to avoid this person and well, i have to avoid this issue and it ne- it never ends and you're well, right eventually it, you come to an issue or a person and you get canceled and you're like well fuck i should have just talked to all I these people just, to be yeah, anyway. and,
1: and also it's but it's also it's the other problem of the guilt by association now it's like it's like you're guilty by association if you've talked to someone who's talked to someone who's talked to someone Oh shit! <laughs> no, like, like okay. So there's entire like networks of people that I can't even have a conversation with. I mean, that that's insane. Now, now that that's that's insane. Um, that is unsustainable in any kind of intellectual culture. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to have an intellectual culture, and I'm not sure that people do, but. Um, that's kind of where I'm going. I didn't start the line because I wanted to to necessarily take on trans issues or race issues or anything like that. That that wasn't the goal of it. I just wanted to not be constantly anxious and afraid. Can I be honest? Like three days before, no, two days before I launched the line, I had a nightmare. I had an actual nightmare where I was at the top of a ski resort and um, I was like, I, I had like a tray of lunch I was like going around to all of these other people at the ski resort, and none of them would have lunch with me. Oh. <laughs> that's horrible I had to go like sit in the snow with my tray and like eat my lunch alone like like it was so ridiculous oh. it was it's insane, and I was so nervous before we lunch line because I'm like, oh no, like I know people are going to shit on me on Twitter, and it's going to be awful, and I'm going to have to take pills, and It's going to be, like, I know intellectually that this is dumb and juvenile, but, like, separating that emotionally from the emotional consequences of that is really hard, Um, and I knew, I just knew launch day was going to be, like, the worst possible day. Like, people are going to call me a Nazi. They're going to be, like, it's going to be so bad, and uh, when I launched it, it wasn't <laughs> it was great the response was phenomenal and like for the first time i actually kind of felt this anxiety that i hadn't even realized had been sitting on me for, for probably years like it's just gone and i just i don't give a shit <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like i don't have time i've got like 15 different submissions in my inbox now i've got a little bit of money to work with and i I've got a a brand, like, smart writers who are lining up with me, and and I've got a a brand that I think can go somewhere. And, you know, maybe it doesn't. Maybe in, like, a year or two, the whole thing kind of collapses, and that's fine. That's okay. It's okay to fail, but um, I don't want to be afraid. It's not fun to be afraid, and it's not fun to not have fun. I mean, you either get into this profession because you just love it for the sake of it, And if you're not loving it for the sake of it, then really it's not a great profession to be in because it doesn't pay well. You get attacked constantly and nobody likes you. So if you're not doing it because you love it, really it's time to move on. Um, And I wasn't loving it. It just wasn't, I wasn't loving it anymore. And it was time to love it again. Yeah, I mean,
0: totally. And I, I, um, I guess I feel like, well, there is a couple things that I was gonna ask you about. Um, I, I think. I mean, I did want to get back to the generational divide briefly because I feel like the response. So when you talk about things like cancel culture and you talk about what your that experience of feeling afraid of, you know, talking to certain people or covering certain issues or covering certain angles, um, asking certain questions, even. People will respond and say, you know, what's happening now is that the way that power has traditionally worked in media institutions is being upended. So this is Mm -hmm. great because now these people who who traditionally didn't have power before, i.e., you know, some online activist or whatever, some like... Somebody without much experience, maybe a new journalist, a younger journalist, or maybe somebody who's not a journalist at all. You know, now they have a say. Now they have power. Now these these like powerful old rich men are shaking in their boots. And I that is generational. And and you know, at the risk of sounding rude. I think there is something to be said about a generation of young people who sort of believe that they should instantly be special and important without having done the work to be respected as a voice or an expert or in journalism, in media, um, and sort of want immediate reactions or immediate results
1: um, uh, well I mean That's that's a tricky thing for, for me to argue Because I mean what expertise Do I have like I've got like A four year degree at a polytechnic And I've managed to hang in in journalism Well why does that entitle me to have an opinion On anything or be a pundit Well I you suppose that you have experience me. in journalism So you yeah, have experience I mean, writing columns at 20 something too right and i was writing blog posts shitting on all the other email at 20 i was full of i mean same exactly i mean that's what you do i mean the only thing the only thing that look uh, power comes from two directions um it either comes from the audience it it either you, you know an audience has chosen you to represent them or has chosen to support you in some way or more importantly the power comes from the institutions themselves um, if you have an audience and an audience has chosen to respect you, I mean, that's, that's between you and your audience, right? That's just what it is. Um, but ultimately, my, my issue here is when you have institutions decide to outsource their own power and judgment, right? Just because a mob gets angry at you on Twitter does not mean that you as an institution have to respond like their complaints or grievances are legitimate. That is not an obligation that you have. Um, especially on Twitter. I mean, Twitter is sort of the culprit for a lot of the stuff that's happening in media right now. Like, Twitter is, is not a good faith actor. <laughs> you know, like 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 Twitter amplifies the absolute worst, best and worst dynamics of of of, of human collections of people. Like, you you still have an obligation to your own judgment. Um, and your own values. and if the, the, the and if you as an institution can't uphold that judgment and insti- and uphold those values, then what purpose are you serving? Mm-hmm. right? If you're outsourcing your your, your values and your, your your judgment to a collection of people on Twitter, then you've lost the function that an institution serves in society. The institution is is established explicitly to uphold certain types of virtues. Against the whims of the mob, that's why institutions exist, so if you as an institution are no longer protecting the writers that you're hiring i don't I don't mean protect them from criticism, and I don't mean protect them from twitter pylons. I mean, if you're not protecting them and encouraging them to continue to be writers and contri- contribute to an intellectual culture in a meaningful way, then you no longer have a purpose here mm-hmm. You just don't right but why are you here? Yeah. Um, I mean, I
0: guess I think that one of the good things that can come out of this current culture in media and journalism is, you know, things like The Line, things like Quellette, like, you know, sort of new, smaller media platforms that aren't beholden to these layers and layers of bureaucracy and these uh i guess you know aren't beholden to the the twitter mobs either because they can't get fired because they're
1: not gonna fire themselves and and by smaller independent media i do think you mean like crypto fascist fifth columns right like that is actually what we're talking about sure sure (laughs) I mean, but that's but then that mean, also smaller the in problem. terms of
0: the amount of people involved. Yeah, you know, sort of like, yeah. Um, there's fewer editors. There's fewer staff.
1: Yeah. So this goes back to the the whole issue of like the the, just the financial decline in legacy media, right? So if you're in a a major institution that's not publicly funded, um, but in a major politi- um, a private institution, your 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 revenues have what's the kind of way to put it fallen through the floor. They've disappeared. Um, And you're continually struggling to do more and more and cover more news with fewer and fewer staff. Um, You're losing uh, a lot of credibility because, of course, you can't cover things as well as you used to. And the audience notices that and then hates you for it. Um, And it gets harder and harder to uh, stand up and do controversial things or experimental things because the backlash and the online backlash can become too harsh. And the online backlash, by the way, isn't just mean comments. It can also extend to boycotts. Um, It can extend to like, hey, if you say something wrong and a thousand people, you know, encourage your main your your top three or four advertisers to drop you, you're Mm -hmm. dead. Mm -hmm. That's it. It's done. Um, And uh, yeah, it, it just financially speaking, it's really, really hard for a lot of the legacy medias to maintain themselves. I mean, a lot of them are heavily indebted um and they also uh, support very very large staff costs and also sometimes things like pension liabilities right that are just eating up revenues so you know i mean the toronto star just sold for literally less money than it had cash on hand joe rogan's like licensing rates went for like 100 million and like the entire toronto star empire just sold for less than that like half that half that i mean i don't know what to tell you like How do you how do you maintain any of these institutional purposes and values in 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 that kind of death spiral? Like, that's the other thing that people that I find so ironic about all of this is that you have all these newsrooms revolts happening and all these attempts by a new generation, a new sort of ideological generation to take hold of these dying empires like you're fighting over dead earth instead of just building the thing you want to see. I think it's just not. It's, it's a weird time to be a journalist, but at the same time, I just don't think that that is going to lead to the outcome that a lot of those people want to see. Mm
0: -hmm. So I take it you have criticisms of Quillette was the, the crypto
1: fascist (laughs) comment. (laughs) I was kind of making a joke. I was, no, I was, I was trying to make, no, I was trying to make an observation that like, you know, at the same time that you have people trying to take over and sort of ideologically form. these Like the the existing and the, 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 the legacy media outlets, um, the counterattack to that is then to try and attack smaller outlets that try to break free from that. Right. So whatever issues you may have with Colette and how reactionary prov- provocative it is, whatever, I don't care. Um, but I mean, I fully expect they're going to do that to me the second that I publish something controversial. Oh, I see. You know,
0: okay. You know, like, like, like that's,
1: that's the way you try and fight back. Right. you you try to delegitimize any kind of smaller independent and independent media outlet. And like the ironic thing is like it, I think it used to be like, what the, no, I'm not going to say that. I'm trying to don't think it's stupid, but um, no, but that's, but that's how you fight back. You don't have to fight on the merits. You don't have to fight on points. You don't have to actually create a rebuttal or demonstrate why what they're publishing is wrong or bad. All you have to do is make that alternative outlet sound like it's a bunch of crypto fascists who are just trying to like, edge people into the alt-right and boom it's done right Right. that's all you have to do you just have to paint a picture of that
0: okay I get it so you're talking about how people are responding to Quillette I mean I like Quillette and it's not because I agree with everything that they publish but that's the whole point to me is it's like I like that they they publish some things that I disagree with and that other things that I like and I like that at least I'm getting Different perspectives for a change.
1: <laughs> there's a bit of there's a bit of a, a, a weird sort of um, pleasure that you get from reading Sam's dad Yeah, right. That is that is the appeal of Colette, right? Like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna give you what you're not gonna get anywhere else, and we know you're not gonna get it anywhere else. But again, here's where I'm getting to the the, the paradox of power and why I think that the. The, the the tactics that a lot of people right now but not all not exclusively in left the right wing has done this too by the way in the 90s I mean this is what's so funny if we get to the generational thing it's like all the stuff that we're seeing I mean Matt TV wrote about this all the tactics we're now seeing that are really ardent from the from the left you know 20 years ago it was the right wing doing exactly the same stuff right like and to some extent we kind of deserve it because I mean like the right's getting its own medicine now right there's part of me that think that that's, that's an element of this that's kind of delightful and funny as hell. But um, no, but I mean, the, the, the problem is that, like, you don't you don't succeed in controlling the culture this way. You're actually ceding control of the culture because you're just pushing more and more people into um, outlets that you can't control anymore um, and undermining a lot of these, these uh, institutions in, in the process. Like, I, I honestly thought that when James Bennett was fired from the Times, I was like, okay, the Times is done now. The Times has made a conscious decision now that it is going to be a left-wing outlet. Um, Best of luck to them competing in that space. There's lots of left-wing outlets and lots of left-wing outlets that do it better. But, um, you know, I can no longer go and read the Times and have a good sense that I know what's going on in the world because they're going to be presenting me a side. And I'm going to have to balance that out by reading other outlets that present another side of what's going on to me. Um, and guess just make up my own mind about where the truth is, but, but like, I just felt like it was a real shame because I, that I'd never felt that about the times anymore. And it was, I think a lot of journalists felt extremely disheartened when they saw the times, um, capitulate like that.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting because what I do now I've realized is that. I'll read an article and actually I'll read the same article basically five different times in various different outlets because people will just print the same information and not do their own original reporting or they'll print a like variation of the same take over and over and over again. And I'm like, okay, I'm assuming there are a bunch of holes in this story. There's a bunch of information I'm not getting. There's some other perspective that I'm not getting. And then I go look at, like, Reddit, honestly. Like, it's like, I go research and try... Like, I go read the right-wing outlets to be like, okay, so I can try to plug some of those holes. Then I go on Reddit. Then I go into... Like, you really have to go searching. And it's not it's not even about the piece it's just about now my assumption based on how i know that these media outlets work and it's it is it is sad i mean on on the other hand people should be doing their own kind of research but at the same time it's like yeah i I just don't trust media anymore i've become one of those like right wingers who's like fake
1: news fake news (laughs) news. (laughs) like... like, like, like you should probably have never trusted media Mm-hmm. because media is still at the end of the day run by human beings and we all have our blind spots and biases. And, yeah. and, and, you know, I'm not straight the line. I'm not pretending to run a comprehensive news outlet. That's going to give you all of the news of the day. I don't have the resources to pull anything close to that. I can present you with the odd fun, irreverent take on the news of the day, mm-hmm. right? That is all I'm claiming to do. I don't, I'm not pretending to be a comprehensive news outlet where you are going to get um, a, a, a totally, um, uh, objectively written reported content. That's not what I'm trying to produce here. And in fact, to be honest with you, especially when you get out of Toronto, I think the CBC still serves this really vital function in smaller communities of just providing the news of the day. You know, as post media collapses and they don't have the resources to provide good reported stuff, you know, if I want to know what's happening in the Alberta legislature, I'm going to turn on CBC Edmonton like that is that is the best source for the most comprehensive stuff coming out of it. Or if I want to know what's happening, the Calgary courts case, I'm going to go, you know, see what my friend Megan down is up to because she's covering courts for Alberta for CBC Calgary. Like the the function that CBC particularly serves in smaller communities as the private entities shrivel and die is something that cannot be under discussed and it's why that you know going back to the conversation that we had about the the defunding of the cbc any conversation around changing the mandate of the cbc is going to have to have um a really comprehensive look at the state of canadian media because i think that if you were to get rid of a lot of local cbc outlets canadians just wouldn't have local news it just it it would be gone Mm -hmm. um so it's a complicated. It's a complicated picture. It's a really complicated picture, and and I think that as 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 the private outlets continue to suffer and are going to continue to suffer and collapse over the next ten years, uh, the CBC is going to serve this really important role for Canadians and how they consume information around them, um, and that that period is is going to be kind of apocalyptic, I think, to be honest, um, and then you know, we as Canadians are going to have to have a conversation with the CBC and be like, okay, now that you're this news monolith and you're the only place we can go to, to get any kind of local news outlet, we're going to have to have a conversation about, is that healthy? And are you actually supporting and nurturing um, a healthy, competitive news ecosystem in the markets where you serve, or are you strangling that ecosystem? Um, and that is going to be a conversation that we are going to have to have as, as, as a nation in the next couple of years.
0: hmm Mm-hmm. mm-hmm um okay awesome thanks so much for um talking to me despite the potential consequences um
1: oh, yeah. <laughs> it's fine sorry again um can we I, just have like a, the top headline just be like like jen gerson blast megan just <laughs> totally nobody will actually listen to the whole who so it'd be fine
0: they'll just yeah they'll just share it as it is <laughs> great share. perfect there you go perfect um how can people follow the line and support where can they okay. find the the content that you're producing
1: sure so uh we're on twitter at yeah it's the underscore line ca okay you can tell i the i didn't pick up that twitter handle fast enough um you can also just go to the um and or you can search for us on facebook we have a little facebook page that i'm trying to to create a little community with so that's great um and if you go to our Substack page uh you will be able to hit up our uh, subscribe button really uh you know five bucks a month would would go a long way um we really appreciate any um support that we can get and really the more money we have in the bank the more money that we can eventually use to invest and build out which is the ultimate goal of all of this so
0: Okay, thank you so much again for your time. It was really good to talk with you. Um, I'm really glad that you're you're working on this project. I'm I'm excited and uh, good job. <laughs> Congrats! Thank you and if you want to write, let me know. I will. Cheers. Okay, awesome. Take care. Bye. Thanks. You too. Bye. I'm Megan Murphy, host of the Same Drugs thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode and are enjoying the other interviews and the content we're producing, please do consider becoming a patron. Just head over to patreon.com slash Megan Murphy and sign up. Five, ten, twenty-five 25 bucks a month. It all helps. We rely entirely on supporters and donors like you to keep doing this work. Thank you so much. We'll catch you next time on The Same Drugs with Megan Murphy.